Time for breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is a crowded table of wounded children, parents, spouses, caregivers, and weary souls. Together, we join in honest conversations about the behaviors and challenges of parenting and working with children who have experienced trauma. There's always room for one more at the table to share in the stories, science, and healing as we learn to better understand and care for each other. We are a table without shame or judgment because life can be hard and lonely, and we all know that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I'm Stacy. I'm a mother of seven children and have fostered for over 13 years. As an RN and former public school teacher, I quickly realized this type of parenting was not taught in a textbook or class. Let's learn together to parent different, not harder. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. I am your host, Stacey Gagnon, and we are back for part two with Dr. Adam Dell, a clinical psychologist who is going to be working with us today on the second part of talking about caregiver strain or burnout or when helping hurts or any of those things. So if you miss part one, you need to go back and listen to part one before you do part two, because he's going to do some exercises with us. How would you describe what we're going to do today? Yeah, you know, Stacey, this is actually something I'll do with a certain percentage of of uh, people I work with clinically. So we're not doing therapy on, on the podcast, but uh, but I think it could be therapeutic. It's sort of a taste of really it's a, a therapy exercise that I, I've taken and modified slightly from acceptance and commitment therapy. So I think it'll give us each an opportunity to kind of take these ideas of being burned out or experiencing secondary traumatic stress and just maybe more personalize it and think about it in, in, in through our own lens. Awesome. Well, when I first heard Adam do this and I, I sat through this, I had the most visceral response and in a sense that it was just very eye-opening to me and, and really helped me. I, I've actually utilized the concept several times just for myself. And again, we're not doing therapy per se on the podcast, but this is just something to be able to center yourself and really, really dig in. And I, I appreciate Dr. Dell doing this. I, I would recommend being in a space that's quiet if possible, you know, maybe not driving down the road <laughs> while we do this, but I will just go ahead and I'll let Dr. Dell go ahead and, and lead us in this. And so thank you again for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So what we'll do and totally voluntary if people participate, but I'd like to walk through it in, in a few minutes and then we'll have a little time at the end to talk about what was inside the exercise and why it was in there. And so I, I tend to think of these exercises as being best done with our eyes closed, just because it limits some distractions. I think it helps us to become a little bit more connected to, to the here and the now. And so I welcome you to join me in, in this if you'd like. Of course, if at any point it becomes too overwhelming or you don't want, I mean, just open your eyes or you don't have to continue to participate. And we'll just kind of see where, where the time takes us. I'm going to go ahead and, and close my eyes, even though you might not be able to tell on the podcast. And um, really, I think any exercise like this works best if we're able to be mindful. And, and mindfulness, at least for the purpose of this exercise, really could be defined as being, being intentionally aware of and connected to something in the here and the now so that you could better notice it or even participate with it. And I know of no better way to do that than to simply draw our attention to something sensory that we almost always could be aware of, but we rarely attend to. 
So for example, in the next few moments, I'd like for you just to draw your attention to what it feels like to breathe. In fact, I would invite you to take at your own pace, three breaths in and out, and just kind of notice what it's like to breathe. You might notice the coolness of the air as you breathe it in, or how your body warms it slightly. It feels slightly warmer on the exhale. Now, inevitably, when we start focusing on something like this, our mind will race in a million directions, and that's okay. You can notice those thoughts flashing up and then just kind of redirect gently back to what it feels like as a living human being in this moment to breathe. And then in, in your mind's eye, I'd like for you, as you continue to breathe connected to this moment, I'd like for you to imagine that you could see yourself in your mind's eye sitting in a chair. And I'd really like for you to try to, to see that in your mind. And as we stay connected in this moment, breathing as you sort of visualize yourself seated in a chair, I'd like for you to bring to mind something that's been painful. It's something that, that actually has been somewhat difficult. It might be in relation to a caregiver role that you're playing in your life or you know, painful thing in the context of a relationship or circumstance. And it's important that it's something that matters and something that's been hard. And I'd like for you to imagine that that is actually sort of manifested on your lap as you sit in a chair. That literally it's a sitting on your lap as you sit in the chair and it's there with you. And I'd like for you to imagine that by your feet on the floor, there's a box on the ground, roughly the shape and the size of a shoebox. And I'd like for you to visualize that you could reach down and collect that box and, and bring it up to your lap and you could open it up. And you could take this painful circumstance or individual or situation and that you could kind of gently fold it up on itself and place it inside of that box and then put the lid on top of the box and rest the box on your lap. And I just like for you to notice what that feels like like what that experience is like for you to take something which has been very painful and difficult and you've not gotten rid of it, but you've placed it inside of a box that's now resting on your lap, that it's contained, that there are some clear edges around it. And as you continue to breathe and you visualize yourself with this box sitting on your lap, I'd like for you to bring to mind someone from your past or your present who was genuinely for you. Someone who cared for you in a sincere and authentic way. Someone who might even have some 
some kindness or wisdom for you in a circumstance like this. It's really critical that you'd identify someone, not someone who's loved you perfectly, but, but someone who you knew was on your side. It might be a parent or a parental figure, a grandparent or grandparent figure, a teacher, a coach, a mentor, a religious leader, professor, a lover, a deep, deep friend. It's really critical that you'd pick someone. And I'd like for you to imagine that this person is now going to join you in this scene. In fact, that they're going to sit directly across from you. And I'd like for you to visualize that as they sit down and they join you in this scene, that their eyes meet yours and that they are aware of what's inside the box. And as their eyes look into yours, I'd just like for you to see if you can see how they might look at you. Like the expression in their eyes as they look into yours. And to notice what that feels like to be seen, and at least in part to be known. And not just their eyes. I'd like for you to visualize what the shape of their nose looks like and their mouth and the shape of their face and their hair and how they might lean in slightly as if to suggest non-verbally, like, I am with you in this. I see you in this. And to notice what that feels like. And then I'd, I'd like for you to see if you could imagine if this person had one sentence or one sentiment that they might speak in a moment like this, connected to you and aware of what's inside the box. One bit of wisdom or truth wrapped in love based on how you know them and how they have been for you in the past. It might be something like, just remember or you are, or simply you. But I'd like for you to imagine what they would have to say to you at a time like this, connected, aware of this pain that you've been carrying. And to almost imagine hearing it with your ears, like listening to the, 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 the cadence and the prosody of their voice as they might say these words to you. And to notice what that feels like to hear from them. And then we've just drawn this person up from your memory, your heart, and your mind, and the ways in which you've encoded the way this person has loved you, what they've looked like, what their voice sounds like. And for the sake of the exercise, I just invite you to feel a sense of gratitude that someone of this magnitude has loved you in your life, that they've seen you, that you could draw them up in a moment like this to thank them, to feel thankful that a person like this has been part of your story. And then to think about almost lovingly reintegrating this person back into the fabric of your heart and your mind. It can be helpful to think about 
taking their face and putting it behind your face or taking their voice and putting it inside of your voice or their eyes and putting them inside of your eyes such that you're going to look and sound and see exactly as you do. And yet, in the things that you see or the things that you say or what you do next, it's unequivocally influenced by the love of this person and their influence in your life. They've become a part of the fabric of who you are because they're part of your history. And then I'd just like to draw your attention back to what it feels like to breathe. Connected to a moment. Alive. Loved. Wise. Here and now. And when you're comfortable, I'd invite you to, to open your eyes or kind of that'll conclude the the exercise component of this. Wow. <laughs> that always gets me. You know, I, I will tell you the first time I did this, I was hoping you would let me blow the box up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Stacy, I think that's a universally, you know, held sentiment. And in fact, like while, while we're still connected to it, I actually usually invite people, you know, like I always get tears in my eyes, even leading this because some of you just connected with someone who, who isn't even alive anymore, you know, or like someone that maybe they loved you and, 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 and you haven't been in touch with them for a long time. And, and, and for many people, they were just connected to something that really, really matters to them and they've been struggling with. And if, if there was something that you connected with in that exercise, the person or even the words that they had for you, and you're able to do it, I would encourage you to jot it down I, or I, type I it into your phone, yeah, uh, because fine. I guarantee you that will be worth returning to sooner rather than later. Well, I, I will tell you, I... I for me, it was my mom who passed away five years yeah. ago. And it was, it's very powerful in the sense I did write down the words the last time I did it. Yeah. And it's been interesting that when I've had hard things happen over the past few weeks, that's what I've been referencing is my mom saying to me, it's okay, you can get through this. Yeah. And it's just, it's weird to, to like, to me, it, it's like, wow, like, and I, I don't know, I just, I appreciated that exercise so much. I knew I needed to have it on my podcast so that other people could experience that. Yeah. I thought it was great. And, and I, and I know you've been through it a couple times, the lesson, but, but what's interesting to me is, yeah, I was thinking about my grandmother who is no longer around, yeah. but depending on what's in that box is who is going to be sitting with you. Right. Yeah. Like, Yep. So you could do this many times yeah, and it could be somebody different each time. Yeah, yeah. no, that's Which true. is a beautiful thing. I love that. Yeah. And if I could just, so, you know, the, the, the clinician in me is saying like, oh, this is targeted with specific ingredients. I know we just have a, a moment or two left, but if it's okay, I'd love just to highlight like three components of that exercise that I think make it so relatable and, and in many cases pretty powerful for people. Uh, the first was just being mindful. You know, oftentimes we can become so preoccupied with the past or the future 
And, and really the only place that we have choices, the only place that we can show up with our values is here and now. And so mindfulness allows us to be aware of physical, emotional, mental things, whether they're positive or painful in the moment. And there, there's just, we could do a hundred podcasts on how much science there is to support practicing mindfulness in terms of promoting well-being, coping more effectively, et cetera. And it's in every one of our wisdom traditions and religious traditions. The, the second part of it, and why I think it's powerful to do this in a group, for anyone listening to the podcast, is Kristen Neff has often said, if you want to be self-compassionate, you have to see your pain as not being something so unique to you, but actually something common in humanity. Like, recognizing that some of the pain or the struggle or the issues that you're dealing with are actually part of being human. And I always think it's almost like a one of the more powerful things about an exercise like this is if there's a hundred people that listen to this podcast or a thousand people, if we did it in a sports stadium with tens of thousands of people, every single person in there would have their eyes closed with a different box on their lap like that. That, that struggles as caregivers, as, as, as human beings, like to experience pain as a universal thing. I don't have to be isolated and alone with it. But then also, I think one of the most powerful things about this, and this is also part of Kristen Neff's approach to self-compassion, is certainly involves mindfulness and connecting my pain to something common in humanity. But it's also finding the love and the wisdom for myself that I oftentimes can much more easily find for someone else that I care for. And so this becomes like a sneaky backdoor way. Like no one who just did that called somebody up and got direct input from them. Like, but the, the way in which people have loved us in the past, we can connect to that kindness by, by bringing them into the present and imagining how they've spoken to us, how they've loved us. It allows us, I think, to, to receive for ourselves that kindness and wisdom that, again, we're, we're much more willing to dispense in heaps and heaps um, to others when we see how we've been loved, like even through the eyes and the words of other people. You know, so oftentimes when I when I do this in a group and I have people share if they're willing, you know, what 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 wisdom did you connect with? You know, it's like someone over there with misty eyes will say, like, I am enough. And then someone else will say, like, I'm already doing it. Or someone else will say like, I belong or my life matters or I measure up, you know? And it's just like, oh, you know, everyone's like crying. Such a beautiful thing. I work with our inmate population and I feel like this kind of exercise to take this into a space where there's so much brokenness anyway. Like, and I, again, I think everyone benefits from this, but to me, there's so much vulnerability yeah. in, with our inmate population. And they're in such a space where they, a lot of them never heard that, but if they can connect to someone, the one person that did, have you ever had someone say, I have no one to sit across from me? I've not. I think it would be really hard, really hard to find that person if, 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 if they're, you know, old enough to participate in something like this. Now I've certainly had people say like, you know, it was actually a teacher as a teacher. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like this long standing attachment, you know, but you know, that, that, that in and of itself, I think is, is part of the mystery that we talked about in the previous episode of this, where, 
If a mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than can be fully comprehended, then I as a caregiver, if I'm leaning into somebody's life in a tangible, safe, and loving way, I might not ever know the full weight of impact that even a simple act of kindness could have for someone. 10 years later, who's asked to think about, has there ever been anyone in your life that you were safe with? Who was for you? And like, that's the Herculean, you know, responsibility and joy, I think, of caring. And these ingredients that we talked about that maybe we touched a little bit or tasted in the exercise, these are the things that I'm referring to that are above and beyond like the bubble bath and the scented candles. It's like being mindfully connected to the present. It's connecting my suffering and experience to something very human. And, and it's connecting with wisdom and kindness and healing that I would want desperately for someone else who I cared for that was in a similar circumstance for me and for my family. And so, you know, sometimes that might mean I need to take a break from this, you know, or, or this type of work, you know, like I'm passionate about it, but it's, it's, it's run me completely ragged and, and I need to rest. Uh, it, it's the reason Stacy, why I no longer work with young kids that have trauma histories because working with that in a clinical population was just too much for me. And I think wisdom and kindness that others would impart to me would say, there's so much that you can con contribute to. It's, it's why I shifted from being a child psychologist to being a foster parent, because there was some kindness or wisdom that we came in contact with where it's like the thing that is killing you with seeing eight or 10 kids a day that then abscond away to different homes and you have very little control and it feels like you're not really able to really make the difference you'd like is satisfied with a much smaller group of kids that you actually get to like feed dinner to, you know, or still be in touch with and not have like some of the limits of, of what a psychologist might in a clinical setting. It's like pausing with mindfulness, common humanity and wisdom and kindness um, that, that I think really helps us to be connected to the compassion satisfaction and really serves as a protective factor against compassion fatigue, burnout, secondary traumatic stress, or, you know, all the different labels for it. Well, I am just in incredibly grateful for today and, and getting to listen to you and learn from you today. We always like to ask our guest as a last question, what you are currently reading or a book mm -hmm. recommendation for the audience. Well, I can tell you um, what I was just going through in terms of, of some of this with someone else. Actually, it's, it's connected to the exercise. Um, one of the books, like if, if you thought, well, I'd like to learn a little bit more about any kind of approach to, to psychological flexibility or flourishing aligned with that exercise. Uh, I think one of the best non-clinical, very practical application oriented books in the world that I'm familiar with from an acceptance and commitment therapy uh, standpoint is a book by Stephen Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S, uh, and it's called A Liberated Mind. And uh, Hayes is the original sort of really the researcher that started acceptance and commi commitment therapy back in like 19, none of our business. Like it was like in the eighties, I think <laughs> a long time ago. He's an old guy now. He's got a terrific haircut. If you ever see a picture of him and me, you'll know why I said that. But um, he still, he still teaches a lot. I, I think he's a terrific speaker. He's got some great stuff online that you could listen to him, but that book, especially in part two, 
has a chapter dedicated to, to six different processes with lots of practical application that literally is some of the best behavioral science that we have in terms of helping people to be able to feel fully positive and negative, but still pivot freely in the direction of building a meaningful life. I like that terminology too, is to be able to still pivot as well. So to yeah. feel it all, to take it in all, but still be able to pivot, yeah. I think is huge. I'm going to check that out. Thank you so much. And we want to give you a congratulations for the oh, new book. Thank you. And yeah. I'm so you. lucky to, to be a father to two girls and um, yeah. So thanks for, thanks for allowing me to join you. What a privilege. And we'll, be. we'll see if you say that when they're, when they're teenagers, but no, I'm <laughs> just joking. It's, it's a blessing. Teens are a blessing. They're just a different, they're a lot like toddlers, yeah. but bigger and yeah. smellier. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Dr. Adam Dell, today on Trauma for Breakfast. And make sure you listen to both parts because I think that you need to listen to both to get to get all the wisdom and information that we've received. Thank you. We're so thankful that you all shared in today's conversation. We are always here and ready to set one more place at the table. Thanks for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is brought to you and supported by Matt Force, working together to reduce substance abuse, and Yavapai County Community Health Services, working toward healthier communities.